The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and SART. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to SART Fertility Experts, a podcast that brings you discussions on important topics for people trying to build a family. Our experts are members of SART, the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, an organization dedicated to ensuring you receive quality fertility care. Hello, my name is Brooke Rossi, and I am a practicing reproductive endocrinologist and infertility practitioner in Columbus, Ohio. Today's SART Fertility podcast series will focus on the financial implications of infertility treatment and IVF. Today, we have Brad Sunstra joining us. He is the executive director at Seattle Reproductive Medicine in Washington State. Prior to his recent position, he had a career in finance at Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle and has a master's of health administration. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dr. Rossi, I'm happy to be here. Great. So I would say one of the first questions or concerns that patients have when they start thinking about infertility treatment, and I would say even before they come in the door, is they are worried about how much it's going to cost. And maybe they've heard about it from friends or family, or maybe they've tried to look it up online, but this is a really important question and topic, I think, for a lot of our patients. Um, do you have a sense of how many patients have coverage for infertility treatment or how that's determined or any any thoughts on that? Sure, you know, and it is an important question because patients do hear a lot about costs when it comes to fertility treatment. And it can be a real barrier for patients to even take that first step. So appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about this um, and to talk about coverage Starting off, I think is a good place to begin. The coverage typically is fairly available for the diagnostic phase of fertility assessment. So obviously if, if you're a patient looking to um, see a, a fertility specialist, it's important to contact your insurance company and, and make sure. But for the most part, the new patient visit with the uh, fertility specialist and diagnostic procedures such as uh, ultrasounds and uterine evaluations are typically covered by most insurance plans. So if a patient has insurance, they can uh, you know, can call to confirm, but, but those are typically covered. When it comes to the actual treatment phase after the diagnostic phase, then uh, the coverage from insurance is much more variable and we can get into that. But I think from an initial standpoint, a lot of the initial things that the patients come in for from an evaluation standpoint are covered by insurance. Yeah, so I think um, one of the things I, uh, I have noticed is that the coverage depends um, on, so it's, it's always kind of determined by the employer, uh, but it also is dictated by the state in which the patient lives. So there are some states in the country uh, like Massachusetts or Illinois, where um, many patients have coverage for treatment because there's a mandate that they need to. Um, and then, and in Ohio, so for example, in Ohio, there isn't a mandate for uh, treatment, but there is for testing. So our patients um, have a mandate that their testing should be covered. So when, and when you talk about testing, you're, you know, uh, we're talking about 
uh, HSG or fallopian tube test, semen analysis, blood work. So hopefully those things um, would be covered. I think the other thing to think about uh, that, that sometimes patients um, might not realize is they'll, they'll think that it depends on the type of insurance they have, and it's not really the type of insurance, whether they have you know, United Healthcare or Aetna, it has to do with their employer. Absolutely. So they and need to understand that too. Yeah, exactly. And to your point, there are 19 states that have some sort of mandate for coverage. And if you're in one of those 19 states, the, the variation of coverage that's mandated by the state is across the board from Correct, you know, very yeah. comprehensive to not very comprehensive at all. So that's something that, you know, you need to research what your state needs to provide, you know, first and foremost. But for all of those states that either have limited mandates or no mandates, you're exactly right. It's really down to the individual sort of type of insurance that you have that your employer itself uh, chooses to cover. So if you're not in a mandated state, the typical sort of off-the-shelf insurance plans from Blue Cross or Aetna would not normally include fertility coverage, and the employer would need to choose what they would call a rider, you know, an add-on to that insurance, which a lot of do, a lot do, to, to provide that coverage. What I've seen, for instance, is a lot of the larger companies, especially the tech-based companies, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, those really large national companies are sort of leading the way in providing this uh, fertility coverage and, and actually becoming more and more comprehensive in their coverage. So it really comes down to the, to the employer and whether they cover that. And, and I'll just throw a pitch in here. If, if you go to your employer and, and it's not covered, it's something that you may want to advocate for because, again, it is up to the employer to be able to, to, to add that on to their insurance coverage. Yeah, I will. I'm, I'm going to add on to what you said, actually, because I, I think that some of the laws and the mandates are in place now because patients have gotten together and gone at the state level and tried to have laws be changed. And um, I definitely agree. I agree with you on that. Um, do you have a sense of how important this is for patients or how big of a barrier cost is? Um, you know, when we think about, you know, sometimes the less invasive infertility treatments like intrauterine insemination, I mean, those sometimes can be hundreds of dollars, but we as um, clinicians worry that some patients, because IVF is more in the thousands of dollars, can't make it to that treatment. And it's a, it's a reason why they sometimes stop treatment. Do you have a sense of how big of a barrier cost is in a treatment? Yeah, you know, it is a barrier. If you don't have the coverage, whether it be through the state mandate or, or through your employer, then coverage is, is a very big deal. Unfortunately, fertility is one of those rare, you know, disease states that, that isn't sometimes covered uh, by insurance. So uh, what we look at is, I've uh, done some studies and, you know, any household income below 100,000, you know, typically struggles to find the resources to, unless they have other resources to, to go to the IVF level. And that's really un unfortunate. There are some things that we can maybe talk about that would, would aid patients in being able to move forward. But um, there is certainly a resource aspect to this that some patients just can't, um, can't reach that level. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And I would love to later on talk about some different options for patients. Um, do you, so how, how, how do practices often talk about cost with patients? I think that this is a 
a really hard subject to initiate with the patients. And I can understand that patients might be might hesitate or be embarrassed to ask how much something's going to cost ahead of time, or even to to say that they may have some trouble paying for something. What what have you seen, or what do you do in your practice to help ease that conversation for patients, or to address those those topics? I think you're exactly right. The the patients can be embarrassed or you know hesitant to sort of bring this up, and sometimes wish that was wasn't an issue, but it, but it most certainly is. And I think practices really ought to bring this up as a subject as soon in the patient's journey as possible, so that everything yeah. is out on the out on the table, and we're all talking logistic, uh, you know, legitimately about what the options are, and also just take away any of that, as you mentioned, embarrassment or or ideas that that this this could be a a problem on the patient's side. It's really not. It's it's a it's it's something that we all want to solve together. Goal and to normal and to normalize it, right? I mean, I always want to make sure that patients know they're not. I mean, everybody has trouble paying for this. This is not. Everybody <laughs> has trouble paying for this. It's 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 you know it's a big deal, and we're here to help. Um, and that's that that should be the practice's role to really help. We have, and I know a lot of practices have what's called a financial counselor role within the practice, and their full time position for those staff members are to work with patients. Um, a to you know communicate clearly what the options are and what they're going to cost and so forth. But then secondly, and just as importantly, if not more, is to help the patients who need re extra resources to, to, to go out and find those resources, because it can be a maze, you know, when you're talking about if there is insurance coverage, you know, is there pre-authorization required? Is there prior services, you know, prior to IVF required? All of these things that can get really confusing that we can help with with a financial counselor or if there's not the coverage, you know, and the patient doesn't happen to have, you know, thousands of thousands of dollars under their mattress, you know, where can they go to help find, get some of those cash resources? So a lot of practices will have that, that financial counselor. And then that should really be something that is, as I mentioned before, you know, um, talked with right up front. Yeah, I, I think that's important for the patients to understand. I don't think that most practices, I mean, patients can call their insurance and kind of get an overall idea about, what their infertility benefits are. But as you know, I mean, as soon as you start asking specific procedures, CPT codes, all diagnostic codes, all that, it's really hard for the patient. So often infertility practices have a person and they kind of go behind the scenes and they can tell the person, here's what you have coverage for, here's how much you have, here's your deductible, here's what you've met. And so patients also need to understand that many practices will help them with that. The, Absolutely. The, that too. Yeah. And, and remember, these. this is what these folks do all day, every day. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's not such a hardship to ask, can you help me with this? You know, patients should right. readily ask the practice to help because they know much more about this. We, we deal with fertility and infertility and the costs thereof every day, where as a patient, it's hopefully, uh, you know, once or twice in a lifetime type of thing. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. We hope you're finding this episode of SART Fertility Experts helpful. Remember, for more information on this and related topics, visit www.sart.org and click on the tab labeled Patients. And now, back to SART Fertility Experts. Do you have a sense, um, and you know, I think this really varies from place to place, like if somebody wanted to do an IVF cycle, what have you seen are the average costs of that? Boy, when you say vary, uh, it really varies. It really and, uh, does, right? I've done a little bit of looking around 
just to see what the current state of things are. And you know, there is a there is sort of the, the bell-shaped curve, right? So there's yeah. the average that you see in most larger metro, met, metropolitan marketplaces from you know twelve thousand dollars to sixteen thousand dollars. And I'm there's so many variations now, it's even hard to just come up with even a, even that. But if you're just talking about the, the IVF process with a retrieval and a fresh transfer, um, you know, like I said, 12,000 to 16,000 is pretty, pretty common, but boy, you get out to the ends of that curve and um, there are some wild variations, both on the, on the top end for uh, some premier centers or they, 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 they promote themselves as such. And then some what they call really low cost and I would say high volume type of centers um, such as, and, and they, they like me to say this, you know, CNY in New York um, advertises very broadly that, you know, under $4,000 for an IVF cycle. So um, right. it, it can really, really vary. Right. And I think it patients also need to understand that, um, you know, some practices, you know, will kind of charge a, uh, package price. Some of them kind of do more of like an a la carte. So, you know, a pa if a patient doesn't need, you know, ICSI, which is a, a special way to fertilize a sperm, they may, you know, they may save money there. Or, you know, how much medication somebody needs can really impact their amount of money they pay by several thousand dollars. Um, you know, what other kind of testing needs to be done. So I, I have also seen that, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, eight to fifteen thousand dollars i think is probably a, a fair assessment depending on you know the location and what the patients need talk a little bit about what patients can do to try to manage this so um you know one of the things i i uh, think about with insurance is some patients have insurance coverage but there can be rules <laughs> right so right. um what are some of the implications um, about sort of having insurance coverage, or I would say the goods and the bads. I would the goods and the bads of, of insurance, you know, yeah. to your point, some of the insurances do have rules. And I think the first thing it, with insurance coverage is to make sure what the what the specifics are of, of your particular insurance company. Because if you don't follow the rules, insurance companies will often not be super flexible and, and you'll, you, you know, you could, you could be out a significant portion of money. But the other thing is, you know, there's, what I've seen is there's really two sort of different types of insurance out there. And one is more of a, a, a dollars based insurance. So you could have insurance and the insurance company says, Hey, you have, you know, $10,000 spend it on what you want. And that can often drive patients to, you know, to your point earlier to, to want to do lower cost sort of cycles and, and um, IUI cycles like, and so forth. So they don't use up all that money, all the, all in one, or, you know, sometimes it's not even enough for a full IVF cycle. But more commonly now, insurances are doing more of a cycle-based um, uh, coverage. So you get two, two cycles covered or three cycles covered. And what that does is really maximizes the chances um, for the patient to have a baby and it doesn't bring in the, the, to your point, the a la carte sort of cost. So it's really important to understand what type of insurance you have and then talk with your provider about you know, what's the best way to utilize those uh, that insurance resource. Right. I mean, I know in our, in our, um, sometimes we have patients who their medications, you know, are part of that chunk of money and it ends up actually being a better option for them to self pay for the medicines because they can get a lower price 
and to use their benefit for the IVF procedures. And so, um, and again, usually the practices work with the patients and are pretty good at knowing kind of how to navigate that system to help benefit the patients. But I do think it's good for the patients to kind of understand that part of things also. Um, sure, but, but, but to your point, make sure you're not doing it alone. Because the, again, yeah. the, the practices have had a lot of experience with these insurance and, and what is the best use of, of the insurance dollars. So um, seek that help for sure. What, what can you tell us about shared risk programs? There are some infertility practices that are, are offer patients shared risk. Can you talk about that? Sure. You know, the, the most sort of um, solid definition of shared risk is where you would sign up for a program with uh, up to so many IVF cycles. So a patient you know, or, or a practice will say, hey, we have this program, you can have up to um, you know, three IVF cycles uh, until you have a baby. And if you don't have a baby, then we're gonna give you all of your money back. And that's kind of the shared risk. So if you become pregnant and have a baby on your very first cycle, you may be paid more than you would have sort of fee for service or a la carte, but you did take home a baby. So, and so you're risk sharing with the practice. But on the other hand, if you, um, go for three full cycles and and do not take home a baby, as they say. Then you know they would get a, either a full or partial refund. So I think under those scenarios, you really want to look at you know what the commitment level is from a, from the patient's perspective. If if you're in for you know going to have a baby regardless of of what the cost is or the number of cycles, these are good programs sometimes to look at. There's also a sort of a variation where. Um, you know, there may not be a refund, but the, the practice may say, we'll give you up to, you know, two cycles or three cycles without a refund, but we'll give you a discount on those if you choose to pay for them all up front. And you have to kind of look at sort of the cost benefit of that, because again, once you become pregnant and take home a baby, you don't get to get that money back if you didn't, you know, if you wouldn't have spent that under a fee-for-service arrangement. So it's something to really talk to the practice about and, and think about. Right, and sometimes there's restrictions on the shared risk programs where sometimes certain patients aren't eligible. And uh, so obviously, you know, again, the practice will help, but the patients need to understand if, if that program is even an option for them. And, and sometimes practices don't even have that as a, as a, as a option in their practice. Um, what have you seen in terms of options for assistance, financial assistance, meaning loans, grants, financing, uh, what are options out there for patients? Yeah, there certainly are loan programs that are available, and, and we've seen that most patients, you know, if, if needed, can, um, you know, are, can get a loan if, if they need to. Through the, usually through the practice is the best way to do it. So if you're getting you a, like a, loan, a financial, like, you mean the practice gives them the loan, or do you mean that there's a financial company that the practice is working with that they'll direct the patient to? Yeah, it's a great question. It's it's typically a third-party um, institution that provides okay. loans, but the the practice is is often the one that will take care of some of the application, and the third party will often pay the practice directly. So you know it's kind of a three-way um, agreement, but it is a third party. And what you find with those loans, you know, the patient sort of determines how much they need from a loan, and then they apply for that under a typical sort of loan application. And those loans, you know, 
are certainly less than a credit card loan. So it's, it's way better to you know, utilize a loan like this than it would be your credit card, but they're still fairly high interest. You know, they can be in the 8%, 9% range. Um, so you just have to kind of plan for that if that's, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think, that, oh, let me just say, I think what I've seen is there's there are several financing companies that are like maybe only do infertility financing. And sometimes you can put just the cycle, sometimes you can add your medication so you can take out different amounts. Um, and yeah, and then they, they determine the you know interest level based on maybe your credit score and that kind of thing. Um, that's a good point. You know, if, if you are a patient and your credit score, uh, you know, isn't as great as it could be, and you have co-signers that are available, maybe parents or or something like that. We've we've utilized co-signers on these loans as well to get a better interest rate. So that's something to look at. And I always tell patients too. Um, I don't know your thoughts on this. You know, you know, they can also. It doesn't have to be the the company in the office. You know, if they have a local bank that they, you know, want to use. I mean, a you know, it doesn't have to be a specific type of loan from the office it can be really a loan from anything if that's what they if that's what they think is right for them certainly home equity loans you can uh, potentially access those at a lower rate so uh, if you have a banking relationship i would uh, look into those options as well yeah there are some grants i've seen some patients have applied for grants in the past i think they're definitely few and far between but uh, sometimes patients will find different organizations online that they can apply to grants as well uh, for infertility uh, cycles or treatments. We've seen that. I think to your point, they are few and far between. A lot of the grants that I've seen are are part of a promotional situation for for a practice or an awareness campaign or something like that. So they're they're actually pretty rare, uh, with the exception of most practices for fertility preservation. So for cancer patients, um, we'll have some sort of program um, that would help. And also you can apply for um, free medications under those programs as well. So if you happen to be one of those patients that are going through this for, for true medical reasons like cancer, um, then, then the grant situation is, is uh, much different and that needs to be something that should be looked into and the practice should be able to help you with that for sure. Um, I was also wondering about um, any sort of, I don't know, tax breaks because it's medical treatment or sometimes patients ask if they can use their HSA or their FSA. Do you have any, any thoughts on those, on those topics? A good question. The, you know, if, the, if a patient has an HSA, HRA, FSA, you know, any of those alphabet soup, type of situations, typically uh, fertility treatments would fall under that. So you could use those funds pretty much across the board as far as I know, um, if you have those available to you. The tax break is an interesting thought as well. You know, the, the way the federal law works is if someone spends more than 10% of their gross income in any given year on any type of medical uh, expense, then they can itemize and deduct that from their taxes, which can be a big break. So if you think about a patient who spends, uh, you know, twelve thousand or fifteen thousand dollars on a single IVF cycle, um, and then adds that to all of their other medical expenses for the year, and this would include premiums for their insurance. So the premiums that you pay through your employer, you can add that as well. And if you can get up to ten percent of your gross income, which 
with IDF cycles, you may be able to do that. Then you can deduct that from your taxes, and that's a that would be a big break. So definitely look into that option. No, oh, it's good to know. Okay, um, and then the other thing I just wanted to uh, talk about is you know sometimes we have patients who are doing infertility treatments, um, you know, and they're involving either uh, maybe they're doing IVF because they need to do genetic testing of embryos because they're looking for a specific disease, or maybe they're using an egg donor, uh, but their insurance covers some parts of the of the process, but not the whole thing because they're using an egg donor. Um, have you seen patients get partial insurance coverage uh, if they have a, a sort of a different a different type of treatment cycle? Yeah, absolutely. And that gets back to our original conversation of if you have insurance, you really have to understand what's covered. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty common to see exclusions, especially around donor services. So yeah. donor egg services, donor sperm, you know, we've seen coverage where anything that is done um, with the patient itself is covered, but anything outside of the patient, such as the donor gametes right. and other things that aren't covered. And so you have sort of this split situation and often those will will involve authorization processes as well. So definitely work with the practice on that, but can't expect uh, in some situations exclusions based on uh, donor services or third-party services. You know, it's interesting, the, um, the ASRM is a relatively new uh, diagnosis of infertility, and now it includes that you can be diagnosed with infertility if you can't have a child with your partner. And so I think a lot about our same-sex couples who are told, well, you can't access your infertility benefits because you don't have infertility because you've never tried with someone of the opposite sex. And I have been encouraging some of our, you know, our women using donor sperm to go back to their employers and say, here's our new diagnosis of infertility. I have infertility because I can't conceive with my wife and therefore I wanna access my infertility benefits. And I think it's it's worked at least in one situation. So I, I think, and that's something you mentioned too, is that you know if you really, patients can sometimes go to their employer or go to their human resources person and say, you know, this is something that I want to be able to access just like anybody else, or this is something that's important to the employees that work here, and we want to have coverage. Advocacy is a big deal, right? And you you hit it on the head. You need to go to your employer because they're the ones ultimately that are providing the benefit, and they can. They can add those benefits uh, if they so desire, and 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 most employers want to take care of their their people. They just may not know that the need is out there or that the desire is out there. And if they find out about it, then they can do something about it. We we've certainly seen that, as I mentioned before, in the in the tech industry. A lot of these services are now covered by the tech industry, and you can even maybe provide some examples to your employer of what other what other employers are doing. And that they, you know, should should be uh, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. Right. And so I, I think um, as we kind of are getting to the end of our conversation here, I just wanted to ask if you had any other thoughts about, you know, how patients can talk to their providers about treatment and feel comfortable doing that, and potentially more important, how can the providers and the offices do a better job of making it comfortable for the patients? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think the the reality is the sooner you can address the subject of finances in this journey, um, the better. And even if a patient isn't 
initially interested in, in going the IVF route, um, still talking about finances and, and what, may, uh, what may occur down the road is, is really important. And if there are resources at the practice, uh, for the patients to, to know, uh, um, for us to tell them that, you know, it's very commonplace that all patients have to deal with this. And we certainly want to help them have a family. And a big part of that is the financial piece. So there should be no embarrassment, no stigma. This is just the reality. And we right. as a team should be able to figure it out. And the earlier we can get working on that part of the journey, as well as the clinical part, I think the better. I think that's that's a great way to summarize all the all the things we spoke about today. Thank you so much. Again, um, this is Brad Senstra, and he is the executive director at Seattle Reproductive Medicine. And I want to thank him for helping us understand all the financial implications of infertility treatment and IVF treatment. And again, my name is Brooke Rossi, and thank you so much for joining us for this SART podcast episode. Dr. Rossi, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SART Fertility Experts, your resource for information on IVF. If you found this podcast useful, please like us on your favorite social media platform and tell your friends about us. For more family building resources, visit www.sart.org slash patient information or www.reproductivefacts.org.